If you guys have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 19. It's kind of weird after being in the Psalms for four and a half years. It feels like we're, we're in Revelation 19. There's only 22 chapters. Like we're so close to being done. It seems so, so it's so fast. It's like, oh, and we've been in it for almost a year. So it's kind of crazy. But um, let me get, begin with this prayer. And, and then I'm going to read the, read the text. And again, we begin with this prayer because this is kind of like, uh, this is a, a centering prayer for us. This can just uh, center us in what, in the midst of all the craziness that happens in Revelation, this is what we can kind of focus on. So if you guys will pray this with me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. Revelation 19, 1 through 10. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud, the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with their immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brother who hold, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I love that what scripture does. It does it over and over and over again. I love how it constantly speaks to our heart and it has the ability to speak to us wherever we may be or maybe even wherever we feel like God's leading us. Scripture plays such an important role in that. And, and in this, I actually love the political nature of our country. Maybe it's I'm just older now. Maybe it's more polarizing. I don't know, one of the two. But I love that Revelation is political by nature. It's a huge blessing, actually. God's kingdom is greater than any earthly kingdom. Amen. In any kingdom that has been and any kingdom that will be, God's kingdom is greater. And we have a saying for this, this, uh, this um, sermon series. It's that this is a letter from Jesus about Jesus to churches in crisis. And churches are often in crisis because of politics. 
We've seen this a lot in our time. Either um, outward pressure from the governments, think about like Afghanistan right now and the Christian church there or different parts of the world where it's not really, uh, that we've talked about a lot and there's a lot of persecution. And, um, or even inward pressure from the church where infighting about po- politics, political views, political figures, that sort of thing. And I love the truth that Revelation constantly drops on us from the very beginning that God's kingdom is different than any earthly kingdom, that it's greater, and in the end, it will win out. And so in that, this is one reason why we get to praise Jesus. There are more than one reason, but this is just one of them, that our praise that our praise can be for God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers for that will be answered. The knowledge that this, this is, like if we can take this and store it up as knowledge that, that this is going to happen, this will give us hope that this kingdom that Jesus ushered in with his life, his death, and his resurrection will come again. And we don't need to worry or fret and get caught up in all of these things that are going on in our day and time. And in this, in the last few weeks, we've seen a, a, a picture unfolding where the idols that have been They've lost, they've lost their power, There's, they've thrown huge fits, and now, they, last week, they were thrown into the sea, and so we can see that God's victory is on the verge of fulfillment. We can see the, anticipa- the anticipation, is that so right, did I say that right? The anticipation is coming that God's kingdom is going to come. It's here, the idols are gone, that we can get rid of them, and we will all sing at this this wonderful worship song, this wonderful worship song that's full of hallelujahs and praise the Lord's. And I love, I love that hallelujah is a statement. It's a statement of victory. It's not simply like you don't, I guess you wouldn't just say it at any time. It's actually that the, some of the text said it was a liturgical statement for victory. It's something that we do together. Hallelujah. We lift it up because uh, of God's victory. And the word is spoken so that it might issue a response. It's not just something you cast out. It's something that as it's cast out, we respond to this. Hallelujah is praise given towards God and either we join in or we reject it. But at this point in Revelation, we can see that the great multitude does what? They join in. And that's what we attempt to do as we walk with Jesus. It's not a victory chant, but a chant of adoration. Or it's not just a victory chant. It's a chat, uh, chant of adoration. God, I love you. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that you won. And we adore the one who gave us victory. So we praise his name and give all praise to God who is on the throne and to his lamb that was slain. And when we are called upon to worship, we respond with worship. Not begrudgingly, not because we have to, not because God told us to, but because we do this with great joy, this call and response. This is why we practice in the here and now. So I told you I'd tell you why I start each service with this call to worship. I say this, will you guys stand with me as we gather together to worship God? I've said this every Sunday for uh, probably six and a half years, almost seven years now. We, we, that's what we say. And we respond to that. Hopefully, our intention as a people gathered here to worship Jesus, our response is worship. We respond with adoration, with being, uh, and our adoration is shown through the prayers, through the singing, through the listening to scripture, for praying for one another, exploring the possibilities of good works, 
and praising God for His good grace in our lives and just praising God that we get to gather together. And we do this as a practice and in response to Jesus' greatness in our lives. And if we can't see it fully, and sometimes we don't, and at least we get to see it in part because we're gathered here together. And that we, as we meet Jesus, I believe Jesus speaks to us about his greatness to our lives. And then when he does that, we are called to respond. And the proper response is to say, yes, I will worship. Yes, I will worship. The word hallelujah is used in this service type way where we are called to agree and worship God and to adore our King forever and ever. And in this text, I I picked at least four things that we can praise God for. That Maybe we see it, maybe we don't. Maybe one of these things will be uh, new to you. Maybe all of it's old hat because we've all gone to church. But the first one is that we praise God for all salvation, glory, and power. They're all His. They're all His. We can even include judgment in that, like the judgment is His as well. This is something that we believe by faith now, right? As we see the work of idols in this world, but one day we will see God in his salvation, his glory, and his power in fullness. So we accept this by faith. Once that, um, that we've been, um, you know, maybe some of us are just hanging on to this faith, despite like our doubts and despite the world's oppositions, our faith will be seen to be more real than any doubts that exist. And in this, salvation will be seen how true and just God is, and there will be no way to disagree with the invitation to worship because of simply how true it is. All salvation belongs to God, and it's best seen in the here and now through the cross of Jesus. That's why we celebrate it each and every week, uh, that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for forgiveness of our sins, but it's also shown very, very good in the Exodus story where God saves his people. And it's seen elsewhere, but in, as we look at Exodus and the cross of Jesus, we can see the full extent that God's willing to go to rescue his people. All of Scripture is pointing to Jesus, salvation, and God's saving power. All of it is. And all of it is His. He saves us from sin and forgives us from its effects, including death. And as idols are cast down into the sea, we see all the glory. The glory that was stolen by the idols is now restored to its rightful place. The power that looked like it belonged to money, wealth, or prestige now is seen as nothing compares to God's great power. And we will see that salvation only comes from God. And for this, we praise Him. We offer our voices and our lives as a living sacrifice before God. Second thing that we, can, we get to praise Him for is we praise God for the destruction of idols. Amen. Idols that are, as they are revealed, are nasty things. They've tricked us. They've fooled us. We've given in to some intentionally, but most of them we've given in to unintentionally in our, in our lives. And we've given in to their lures. And yet God has seen fit to forgive us for these sins. His grace overruns that. His love overrides because the idols are false. And once they are destructed and take. Uh, destroyed and taken away from this, we will, from us, we will praise God. He's lifting the veil that once we, uh, that we, 
we can only see his kingdom coming through this veil. And once it's lifted, we'll be able to see the kingdom that is to come and the idols and the thing that detract from God's glory will have no place in his kingdom. And this will be a call to worship. And we get to respond with yes and amen. The third thing we will praise God for is that the judgment on the great and small is equal. The whole earth stands before Jesus on a level playing field. And I love this. Rich and poor, powerful and weak, old and young, smart and not so smart, wise and fool, weak Christians, strong Christians, not that there is such thing because as we stand before Jesus, there is Jesus and all those who are in need of God's grace, which is everybody, and no one is greater than the other. There are no levels of personages that God will acknowledge great and small. And we will all stand before him and we will all see this. And we won't be jealous or frustrated by our position or lack thereof. But we will sing praise to God for this fact and this beautiful thing. And I love this because oftentimes in the church, people are held up or hold themselves up as role models or more mature in the faith. And I love that whether you have great faith or just a little bit that is faltering more times than we care to admit, we will all stand before God in equal need, with equal wonder, and with equal praise. No one is greater than Jesus. Amen? And we will see this once and for all. And I can't wait for that time when no one is trying to position themselves and we'll just all be seen as equal. Now, it is true, though, I will say this. It is true that there are people that have different measures and different gifts at different levels and there will be different rewards given in heaven. And we, we need not forget that. But some that are given great faith and great service and other great gifts and, and some are given to it these things in a lesser degree. But that never suggests that there are great followers of Christ like there are good Christians and bad Christians. There are, there are no levels of class amongst the followers of Jesus. There is Jesus and there is us. He is greater and that is why we worship Him and Him alone. And I'll say this, anyone who wants to position themselves as more pure or better or above another person, um, this is not a response that we get to give forevermore. Amen? These people will kneel, all knees will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord and however, we will be seen as Jesus, and forevermore, we will be seen as Jesus intended. And that is a beautiful thing. And for this, we will make a big deal about it because God's love is such a big deal that it will never diminish and it will only grow as time goes on. And in that, we can see that we can say yes and amen and praise God that no one's better than the other. We all stand before Jesus. And then the fourth thing, we are called to worship our God, our, our, our God because He is almighty and He alone reigns forever and ever. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no one greater. There is no kingdom or king that can compare. And we are called to give God this type of glory and honor in the here and now. And we do so by faith. And one day we won't need the faith that is unseen because God will be seen in his full power and his full glory. And we will give him the honor and glory that he deserves because he's so worthy of it. He's so worthy of it. And we are called to worship. And if we feel, uh, if we feel like it right nowadays, what do we do? We worship. 
How many times have you guys in the week where you just like, praise Jesus, you just say that in your head or your heart, or you say it out loud, right? And it can be during something, or it can be like when you're washing dishes or laundry, you could do it then, I guess, or maybe for kids cleaning your room. You can do it when your mom assigns you extra schoolwork, right? Praise God. Thank you, mother. I love that great gift that you've given me in your investment in my knowledge <laughs> and my, my growth. But we do this and we worship because we do it as, um, well, there are times when our hearts don't feel like it. Amen. Maybe some of the times I mentioned, but sometimes like this week, I, this week I struggled with depression for no reason. And it's just one of those things where it comes on and I have to, in those times, command my heart to worship God because I don't feel like doing anything, let alone worshiping. But as we do this, it's a great practice for all eternity because we will praise him. I'm not suggesting we're going to sing around, sit around heaven singing all the time, but we will praise him because nothing can compare to him. No kingdom is greater. No king is greater. We are called to give God the type of honor and glory that he deserves in the here and now. And so we attempt to do it to the best of our ability by faith. And one day we won't need the faith, but God will just be seen in his full goodness. And as we worship, we do this because of great moments like this, when the idols are cast down into the sea that we saw last week. And we do this because of who God is, not just because of the moments, but because who God is. When Moses, when God told Moses to help rescue the people out of Exodus, right? The great salvation of Exodus. He told Moses, his name is I am which means that there is nothing that he is not. He is our all in all, and we worship him, not out of our own contrivances, but as a response to his goodness forever and ever. And this is even reiterated as John saw this vision of all who worship. And upon seeing, uh, seeing this in the, the angel, seeing the angel, John fell at the angel's feet. And worshiped him. And the angel corrected John in the middle of his own vision, which I love so, so much. He says, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. And then he says, separate sentence, worship God. That's what we're to do is worship God. We don't, we don't bow down to any greatness other than God. Even if it is good and as good as this angel is and as good as the message is, we don't adore the messengers. We don't adore the messengers. This is important in our day and age because for far too long, we've uplifted the messengers at the cost of the message of, and the meaning of Jesus Christ. In our culture, um, and I'll speak directly to the United States culture, there is a such thing as hero worship. Amen. Like we've seen it time and time again. And actually it's one of those things like how many of our heroes we felt like have let us down in the last year and a half, a whole bunch, because that's what they're supposed to do. But it also has permeated the church culture. And it's kind of weird in a church culture because we say we worship Jesus and then, but we've got all these mini gods that we really like and are really wise. We even have books like 50 great Christians. Everyone should know. Right? How many of you read books like that? I have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of them on my shelves. Or seven men of God, seven women of God, these types of things. Or blogs who rate Christian leaders of Christian movements. We've seen things like this. Or promoters of books and conferences, when they do this, they hold people up 
as great, wonderful, powerful, and wise. And if you just come sit under their teaching, it's going to be an amazing thing. And here we see that hero worship is not okay. When Jesus is the one who we give all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. I'm not suggesting that we can't learn from the 50 greatest Christians according to that book, or that we can't learn from the seven men or women of God, or those who write books or speak at conferences, but they are all flawed human beings like you and like me. They are not Jesus. They are not the Christ. And people have done this with Bible characters as well. We've seen How many of us have seen Paul or Moses or Peter or John or Elijah or Elijah, right? You got to figure, I include those two because sometimes we don't know which one's which. So just include them, lump them together and you know what I'm talking about. But, or, or you've seen like David, some of these guys are just lifted up on these pedestals as if we're supposed to worship them, as if they are on equal footing before Jesus and they're not. I was reading James chapter 5 this week, and verse 17 and 18 says it like this. Elijah, who, by the way, you can go back and read the accounts of Elijah. He's an amazing guy, amazing stories, amazing things that God did through him. But it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's yours and mine. That means he was a flawed human being. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't Jesus. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth, which is a pretty crazy prayer, right? We'd probably pray the opposite. Like, Lord, help it rain in California at least. I mean, they need some water. Like, And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a great, obedient man. He was a great, obedient man. But you know what? He was like us. It was God who did the miracles, not Elijah. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so even in the context of this, is in the, in, in the context of James 5 is, is healing, where you can pray for somebody and you're supposed to come to the elders of the church and they pray for you and ask God for healing. It's not the elders of the church. It's not the oil that does the healing. It's Jesus who does the healing. We just get to be obedient to that. And I will say this clearly, we don't adore the messengers. We adore Jesus. And I'll say it very specifically, no pastor, no leader, no writer, nor thought or doctrine or program. These things can be useful as messengers, but that is all they are. Very few uh, people remember the page or the paper that the the words were written on. But as followers... We, as followers of Jesus, we want to become less so that Jesus might be more. Our idea of greatness given to us from God is that the least of these is the greatest. And that God not always, um, and our ideas are not always the greatest, but God's ideas are. So this is why I constantly beg us, let us be humble and walk as we treat other, walk with Jesus, as we treat others better than we treat ourselves, because that's what Jesus did for us. And we do practice. We don't practice hero worship because we only have one hero, and his name is Jesus, and we worship him and him alone. And you know what? He's not going to let us down ever. I I certainly will, and other leaders will certainly let you down forever and ever. That's just a a promise. And lastly. I love this last line. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I love this verse because I love prophecy. You guys know this. 
I'm a little bit kooky in some of the ways that I maybe believe it. I'm not that kooky. I just believe prophecy to be real. I don't need to apologize it, so I apologize for apologizing for it. I believe this. And I love promise. Most of you guys know that I believe that God can give prophecy to in, for individuals and or for groups. I believe this in my own life. I believe this for the life of Grace and Mercy Church. And some things, um, some may think that I'm a mystic or something like that, but I just believe that God has given dreams, visions, words for specific groups or peoples. And the truth is, I believe that God can and does speak through um, others very specifically into our lives. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I can't. can't, I said, I wrote here, I can't always explain it. I don't know if I can ever explain it, let alone always explain it. And um, even though I believe, uh, I, and I still believe in prophecies that have yet to happen, and, but none of this can compete for my attention over above what Jesus would have for me to do today. And that's the key point. Is that we can believe in all this stuff, and that's fine, but it never detracts from Jesus. It never takes from Jesus because the prophetic nature always points to Jesus. It points to His glory. It points to His working, His will in our lives. And all prophecies should remind us of Jesus, His goodness, His grace, His love, His glory, honor, and power, and not about the messenger. It's all about Jesus there. There's a lot of prophecy in the Bible and all of it centers on Jesus. And I think like even in this text that we're in in Revelation, it's prophetically speaking to what's going to happen in the kingdom to come. And it's pointing to Jesus' victory in all things. And I like to think of it this way. All prophetic history and future has been and will be revealed to us in Christ. It's all about Jesus' goodness and continued work in our lives. The whole point of prophecy is not to predict the next president or the next Super Bowl or, I don't know, whatever other thing that you might think of. It's to make much of Jesus. The point of prophecy is not so that some gifted people in this area can get glory and honor and praise. It's to bring glory, honor, and praise to Jesus. Amen? So we get to see that. And we get to be about that. We can believe in prophecy. And by the way, you don't have to believe in prophecy. I just happen to. So, And if you don't believe in it, I'll prophesy over you at some point, And then we'll be good. So I don't. that's not true. I can't control prophecy. So there you go. But our focus is always and only on Jesus. I pray, Grace and Mercy Church, that we may understand this. Our praise is His and His alone. And we are invited to worship Him. And in that invitation, let us respond. Let us worship him and him alone. As the messenger said it plainly, worship God. Let us respond with a yes and amen. Jesus, may we worship you all the days of our lives. May we give you and you alone all the praise, glory, and honor that is due your name. In Jesus' name, amen.